Hello, and welcome back to the third episode in the second series of Drinks and Thinks, the podcast where I, Connor Stewart, sit around, have a couple of drinks with my mates, and talk about various aspects of life from a philosophical standpoint. Today, I'm once again joined by a friend who I've had numerous drinking experiences with, um, a good few of which have been messy, but we're not going to talk about those today. Uh, I'm joined by Mustafa Saliho. Muzzy, please tell everyone a little bit about yourself. Um, hi, thanks, God, for having me. My name is Mustafa. I'm 18, live in London, currently based in Glasgow. It's been pretty good so far, actually. Um, it's just at uni right now, enjoying the life. Uh, lockdown's been questionable. It's been pretty good, though. It's been pretty good for what it, for what it is. And, yeah, that's me really i uh i think lockdown's been a really sort of interesting gauge of people like everyone's done something different with lockdown some people you know start i think a lot of people started off doing the whole oh i'm gonna get fit i'm gonna bake banana bread i'm gonna learn a new language and you know a month in spent every day in their pajamas on the sofa watching tv what was what was lockdown number one like for you and how do you see lockdown two going? Um, for me, lockdown number one, I think lockdown number one definitely started in a similar way. I remember there was one point, like, it must have been about three weeks straight that I'd, like, bake something, like, every few days. It was actually very fun until I realised how much I was spending. So I was like, do you know what? Let me leave that alone. And then it did, as you said, it did turn into a bit of a, like, just relax on sofa in pyjamas. I think sleep schedule got a bit messy as well. I think that happened to a lot of people then. And um, yeah, that was up for the first one. I think for the second one, I can see it being a lot more like productive, especially with university going on now. I would play, have, actually have stuff to do. It's not like, it's not a transition period now. Now it's, I've got stuff to do. Let me get on with it. So I think it'll be a bit different in that sense. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think for us especially, and I'm sure that the uh, the year group two years below us who had GC or were supposed to have GCSEs can relate to this, or people indeed uh, who were just leaving university. It was so weird when, you know, we started off our final year and we were all sort of knuckling down to get to work. And all of a sudden this coronavirus thing kicked off. And, you know, in a matter of days, it went from us all working our asses off to us being at home with no exams in sight, not even knowing whether we'll get to uni or not. And it was just a really surreal experience having, like for the first time in maybe seven years, having seriously nothing that needed to be done. I think that was a really interesting experience for a lot of us to figure out, you know, what am I going to do with my life now for the next three months before I go off to uni? And I think you're right in saying that... Um, that like having stuff to do from uni and having work and stuff like that, it'll definitely make this lockdown, I think, easier for me at least, because, you know, I'll have somewhere to, I can, I can sort of focus, um, focus my attention. You spoke about baking. What kind of stuff were you baking? Was it like sweet goods or was it like bread? Yeah, normally it was sweet goods to be fair. Um, I mean, um, I made cookies at some point. I can make very good cinnamon rolls, so I'm just going to put that out there for everybody who's interested um 
like I think when I when I say that, those are the two big things come to mind. Like I think I've made those both like more than one time. So that was pretty good there. But yeah, I think mm. that was my thing. And I didn't add this earlier as well, but I say that one of the good things about the lockdown was that eventually once I like once I had nothing to do, I always had so much time to like reflect on like, myself and what I've done with my life so far. I think that's really important actually. Just being able to like sit down and see, wow, this is what I've done in the last seven years because I've not caught like a serious break in quite a long time. So, yeah, yeah, I think it it definitely definitely did give us all a lot of time to reflect on on a lot of things, on life and who we are, all that kind of stuff. And that's kind of one of the reasons that I actually started this podcast was to sort of let that out, give it a, a you know an opportunity for me to talk about that kind of stuff uh, and for people to listen if they felt so inclined uh, to take up their time and and waste it in fun new creative ways um just coming back to the baking thing man i love baking bread so much there's something so therapeutic about kneading the dough and like i made sourdough in lockdown so good it is so good i don't know if you tried sourdough before but it's it's dang yeah, no, I've tried sourdough before. It is so very good. So, is what I'm saying. One, at some point, I'm going to have to try your sourdough. Honestly, this is the issue, is that I made it like three or four times. And then the sourdough starter died because I forgot to feed it. You have to keep feeding it with flour like every week. You have to be on top of that. And I just forgot about it and it died. But oh, if ever I take it oh. up again, I'll, I'll, I'll let you know for sure. Over the lockdown, we sort of spoke a bit, you know, we... We all had this opportunity for what some people might call self-determination, right? It's kind of it's kind of the idea that you can choose your own path, you can choose your own destiny, you can choose who you want to be ultimately. You can determine yourself, you know, it's in the name. What we didn't get a lot of was was socializing and freedom of association and being able to choose the people that we interact with. You know, all of us were stuck at home pretty much with our families, um, for better or for worse. But one question that arises from this self-determination, for me at least, is one that's taken a huge front line in modern politics, and that is one of immigration. You know, if we are allowed to choose who we associate with, where we go, what we do, shouldn't people in other countries be allowed the same? And does that right to sort of choose yourself and determine yourself and choose where you want to go extend to being able to choose to move to another country? What do you think? Well, that's a very good question, actually. Um, I'd say that in that sense, I think people should definitely have a right to be where they want to. I know that practically things are very different, but as long as they don't have like dangerous or malicious intentions, I think that there shouldn't really be much of a problem with people moving to where they want to be. So again, to live a better life, to get away from where the problems they're facing in their country. I think immigration's a very good thing in that sense. So Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean you you mentioned um sort of getting away from the troubles uh, in their own country. And I think that that is a huge, a huge motivating factor in governments uh, even considering allowing immigration. You know, 
if there's one country that is war-torn and ravaged and where the citizens can never be guaranteed safety, really, then of course those citizens are, are going to want to move to somewhere where they actually have prospects of, you know, finding a job, settling down, having a good life. And if that means migrating to uh, somewhere that's, you know, more uh, economically and socially stable than the country that they live in, I think you're right in saying that, you know, we kind of want to say that these people have a right to do that. It seems, you know, we kind of want to intuitively say that. I just want to circle back to a little thing you mentioned, which was practicality, you know, and that is one of the huge main oppositions to this argument that everyone should have a right to go wherever they want. Practicalities are are a huge problem. What is your what is your experience with um with the practicalities of immigration? Practicalities are well I'd say first of all, there are only so many countries where you can actually go to. They come again this is this is what I'm about to mention isn't my experience, but um for example in America Obviously, they've just had Donald Trump as president, and he didn't take too kindly to immigrants from like immigrants from certain regions, and that's obviously bad for them. That's like a practical restriction there. But I say that um, the other one I was about to mention was tolerance as well. I think that it's important that you go to a country where people are like tolerant of like immigration. I think that if you end up somewhere where you don't really enjoy it, I feel like you're gonna have <laughs> you're not gonna enjoy yourself that much. I think that um, it's still even though it's still necessary to immigrate, em- immigrate from whatever situation you're, how you have you had at hand, it's still not ideal to go from that to something that's not much better. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I definitely, I definitely get what you mean. I think, um, I think tolerance is definitely a huge part of that. A question that then arises, kind of just from the, I guess, from the philosopher in me, I always want to question the next, the next step. Why, or do you even think that then people have an obligation to be tolerant? You know, it's, it's, it seems people should have the right to emigrate from their country to a better one but that better one be better ought to have people who are tolerant of such immigration is there an obligation there for those citizens of other countries to be tolerant or do you think it's just a matter of choice um, that's interesting actually i say that from a moral perspective i would say that it should be an obligation in terms of the otherwise if you don't wish them to be there, you'd rather them be like in a situation where they could potentially get like killed or their family get killed or what's gonna happen there. But I say that again, it, technically it is a choice. But like moral standing and society does definitely encourage them is an obligation to definitely push this idea that it's an obligation. Right. It seems there's a there's a moral obligation to you that that people should accept other people into their country because otherwise like you say they're effectively um saying it's okay for these people to go and die which is an absolutely horrific thing both on just you know a human level and on a moral level uh, is clearly immoral 
to wish death upon someone else or to wish any kind of harm upon someone else really i think there's definitely an issue to be had there though because surely one could uh one could wish that immigrants weren't coming into their country while simultaneously not wishing death upon those immigrants as long as they you know uh so somebody say somebody in america donald trump right he seems to say we don't want uh mexicans coming into our country that seems pretty bad it seems like to a certain extent he's condemning mexicans to a worse life were they to have to find somewhere else to live but what if he were to say we don't want mexicans coming into the usa instead we think they should go to canada surely in as long as there's you know an alternative you're not really um willing that these people are coming to harm what do you think no that's a fair point as well actually um because the thing is i've heard quite a few people with that perspective they say oh no it's unfortunate what these people are going through but we don't want them here we'd rather them somewhere else but then i think you have the question of why do you not want them here but you'd happily have them somewhere else do you know what i mean i feel like that in that sense is a bit um it's either I'm, I'm not going to go full out and say that's completely wrong but i think that if you'd be willing to have them in a country that's not yours, then what would be like, what would be the problem with them being in your country? Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, um, I think this argument could go, could go back and forth for a while. There's, there's many, many retorts to be had on both sides. Um, Whether or not people should be accepting of others. We, we kind of all want to say yes, intuitively. It seems like, it's the moral thing to do. It's certainly the nice thing to do. Um, whether those two things, nice and moral, always uh, overlap is another question entirely. Um, but I kind of want to just reflect a bit more on um, on sort of personal experience. So, you know, for me, I'm a third generation immigrant, which means that my grandparents on my mum's side uh, immigrated emig- immigrated to this country. I always get those mixed up, immigrate and emigrate, but immigrated into this country, um, you know, well after they'd already uh, grown up and stuff. Um, But that means that my mum was born here and I was born here. So for me, I feel pretty, um, pretty disconnected actually from my grandparents' culture. What's it like for you, Muzi? I know that you said you're a a second generation immigrant. Do you feel more connected to the the cultural heritage that you have? Yeah. So just to run it through as you did um my parents originally from sierra leone and they moved here in about 2000 so they've been here for about i think this might make it exactly 20 years now but um for them my sister was born there and me and my brother who's younger than me were born in this country i think that there's definitely a stronger sense of connection because they they've come directly from there even though they were there for 20 years they they came here when they were quite grown up. Like, as I said, they they came like once they'd come to the UK, they gave birth to me about two years after that. So I think that my life I've had that I've had that connection without actually being there, if that makes sense. I think that definitely there in that sense. But I think I haven't I don't think that I've really lost touch of the culture. I think the culture's still pretty well ingrained in me. Like that's from like food to language spoken at home to like the friends and family we have like it's all pretty much there really 
Yeah, I think um, in in many many countries where people uh, immigrate to, there's often uh, a community of immigrants that would build up. You know, um, my grandparents when they first moved here lived in uh, a community of other immigrants from uh, Guyana, which is where they immigrated from. So for them, it was very easy to stay ingrained in the culture, and I imagine that's what it's like for your parents. Um, I think it's really interesting that you spoke about, you know, all the different aspects of culture. Uh, there's, you know, there's food, there's language, there's other huge amounts, there's music, there's history, there's the people you associate with. There's so many facets to culture um, that almost it feels like geographical location has a very small amount to do with it. Um, I kind of want to circle around to another kind of question. Um, just sort of in my experience, right, my, my grandparents are um you know they've lived in england for a huge amount of time probably 40 or 50 years uh, i mean they've, they've they've moved away now but after all of that time they don't they still really don't think of themselves as being you know english or british but you ask my mum she's english right she's half english half guyanese or she's english guyanese she grew up here she lived here she speaks English. I'm personally definitely English. And I know that you are as well. Do you think your parents feel the same about that? I'm, I'm intrigued to hear about sort of the, the labels almost that we put onto people or people put onto themselves about nationality. Do you think that immigration affects that in any way? I think it definitely affects it. Um, to be honest, I think on my personal experience, I'd say I relate more to your mum on that front in the, um, I'd say, I'd say my life like, not half and half, because my parents aren't half and half, but like a blend of both in that sense. Um, but I think it definitely has like an uh, impact on how you how you see yourself. I think that having been brought up in this country, you probably you've probably seen like more of the English side of your mom than the Guyanese side. Was it Guyanese? Yeah, yeah, yeah Guy, right. more than the Guyanese side. So I think. That could definitely play a role as well. Um, I can't remember where I read this actually, but I think there was somebody who said that um, I think between the first and third generation, like almost like well, a very significant amount of like culture is lost. Like this was in a pretty big paper, so I can't remember like all the specifics, but like I just found that interesting to me. Yeah, I think it's it, it is almost really quite quite clear actually um to see that difference like obviously for you you said yourself you feel quite more like a blend of two different cultures and i think my mum probably feels the same whereas for me i am you know pretty unequivocally english and british and i realize you know there's there's certain parts of my family life and of my personal identity that are certainly guyanese but it's such a, a minuscule fraction in compared to the amount that it is for my grandparents and for my mum I think it is, you know, it's pretty clear to everyone that three generations seems to be um, a sort of good rule of thumb for how long it takes for a, a person to to settle, I guess, as it were, to 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 lose all of that culture. But I think it's interesting that that we tended there to use the word lose. In a way, of course, you are losing culture. I've lost Guyanese culture compared to my mum, but I've gained other kinds of culture. What do you think about that? I think that's a very good point as well, actually. I think, um, to be honest, I think you like 
I mean, you can say that you've gained the British culture, but having, I think you can, I think you could agree on this, but having lived it for so long, like, there's a question of what actually is British culture. Like, I don't know why, but when, whenever anybody asks, gets asked that question, like, they're suddenly not too sure. But I think that that is probably because they, they're just so used to it. They don't see it as culture anymore. They just see it as how it is. And maybe they haven't seen the difference between like that and another culture, but it's definitely there. It's just sometimes people don't notice on that. But, um, oh, yeah, sorry. I was going to say, with your thing about losing it, though, um, I don't know. I think that I feel like there's a quite like slow transition across generations. Where remember all the dimensions we've talked about, like food, music, and all of that stuff. I feel like eventually, like over like a very long amount of time, and over like number a number of generations, it goes from like there to being like, oh yeah, I'm just a fraction like from this country. And like that's it. It just stays as a label, really. Mm-hmm. I find that pretty interesting. Yeah, I think it's, it is. It is hugely interesting. And I just want to touch upon. You spoke about you know what what is British culture, and I think this is actually really really relevant to the the conversation we're actually having on, on the whole right now, which is that I think British culture in particular, because of the you know vast and in places incredibly brutal and gruesome history that the British Empire had, I think that a huge amount of British culture is really, you know, it's a magpie culture. We've taken so many things from so many places and a, a large proportion of our country is made up from of immigrants, ultimately. Second generation, third generation, further maybe. But ultimately, I think a huge amount of British culture is effectively you know, magpied, leached away, stolen from other countries. But in a way, I think that's something that's really quite amazing about Britain. And it, you know, in certain places, it makes for horrible prejudice. But on the whole, I think it has a a, a wonderful effect of being a sort of melting pot. And you hear that term thrown around all the time about different places um, and even about our schools sometimes. But it's just, I think it is a really apt term just to change the tack slightly here what do you think about a right to immigrate do people have that right to immigrate that we sort of touched upon at the beginning we said we it seems sort of intuitively that we should but based on practicalities of you know there's only so much space there's only so many people that can live in a given country should everybody have a right to get into any country anytime they want what do you think i feel like having a right to immigrate it makes things a lot more difficult in the it could like in theory it could mean that everybody goes to one country and that would obviously be very problematic. So I wouldn't say that there's a right to everybody who wants to immigrate, but I'd say that there is like people have more of a claim to be able to immigrate if they're in like if they're in situations that can like that are actually bad for them. again, for example, like if they're escaping like civil war or like, I don't know if they do you get what I'm trying to say? And the, um I feel like oh I don't know how to word this actually. No, yeah, I, I, I entirely get where you're coming from. I think um 
I think the sort of circumstances of the country that person's leaving seems to have some sort of effect on whether or not they have a right to leave that country and go somewhere else. Um, a lot of philosophers make the distinction there between uh, the right to leave the country and the right to get into another country. It seems everybody really should have the right to leave their country if they're being oppressed and you know imprisoned for speaking out against the government or uh, segregated and discriminated against. Of course, you should have the right to leave that country. Do you, does that imply a right to enter somewhere else? I don't know. Uh, we'll come back to that in the second half. So, sort of in keeping with the theme today, we'll see, our drink is, in one way or another, almost an immigrant in and of itself. Um, today, we're drinking Moscow Mules. What do you think about that? What do you like? What do you like about it? What don't you like? I like all of it, to be honest. I'm a big fan of ginger beer, to be honest. So when I heard, when I heard we were doing a Moscow Mules, I was pretty excited. I love okay. I don't know what it is. The ginger beer is so... It's really crisp, but it, like, is warming in a weird way. You know, it's kind of like whiskey. Like, it warms you up a bit. Yeah, I think especially now where it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty cold up north, so... Yeah, up north across the border, it's it's a barren, cold wasteland up in no, I'm kidding. <laughs> but it is pretty cold. Um, so for those of you interested, if you fancy making your own cheeky Moscow mule, um, this is pretty simple. It's uh it's oddly similar to last week's drink, actually, which was the Cuba Libre, but we've just substituted out the alcohol and the mixer. So you start off once again with lime juice. Uh, you can chop half a lime in half and squeeze out all of the juice from that, really. And, you know, drop the, drop the empty shell in there as well. Why not? Extra flavor. A load of ice, I like. I just put so much ice in there. Make sure it's, you know, good and cold and refreshing. And then, uh, you know, one or two um, shots of vodka and top it up with ginger beer. It's pretty, pretty easy, pretty self-explanatory. But weirdly weirdly refreshing uh a weird thing actually they're typically served in copper mugs yeah, I, you know what? That, actually. I have no clue you know what i'll, I'll look it up let's find out i want to know now why why do they serve them in copper mugs apparently it is so that it stays cold if you have a copper then it'll really keep it cold or keep it warm, depending on what you're drinking, or either keep it really cold or keep it really warm. Really? I think that's something. Yeah. Surely, if it's metal, it's going to like conduct the heat away quicker, but I don't know. I mean, I'm not a, an expert on thermodynamics, so <laughs> I wouldn't know. Oh, neither. <laughs> neither. But it's really nice. It feels like it could be a summer drink or a winter drink, if you know what I mean. I see exactly what you mean there. It's pretty good. Very good, actually. Oh. <laughs> What's your first memory of ginger beer? I just remember my first memory of drinking ginger beer. It was really just intense. Like, because I was probably five or six or something, and I just had a, a can of old Jamaica, you know, the classic. Took a swig, and it absolutely blew my socks off. Like, my nose was tingling for days. I, I'll tell you what, actually. My first one was homemade. Basically, my mum makes a brilliant, brilliant ginger beer. Uh, what it is, it is 
literally raw ginger. She just gets raw ginger, like blends some of that. She has a bit of sugar, a bit of lime as well. And then she'll throw in a few cloves. And she'll leave that for about like a day or so, mix it all up, serve it out. Ice cold. It is amazing. Very, like you said, it's very like, it can blow yourself. Like, to this day, I still like, in the first sip after a while, I'm still like, wow, that's pretty intense. <laughs> but that sounds, that sounds so good. Oh my God. The cloves. I never thought about cloves, but that sounds like the perfect secret ingredient. Like that would just give it that extra little kick to the side is oh that's so nice yeah, that sounds I'll tell you what, it is definitely more than a little kick with a glim say so you can really you can really feel it wow that i i'm looking forward to that i gotta hit, i gotta try that someday man that sounds so good oh you will you will don't worry it's very good fresh ginger is strong though <laughs> exactly so imagine that cloves quite a few limes now Oh my god, that sounds yeah, yeah. I'm I'm looking forward to that. So, Muzi, what we didn't actually mention earlier, I don't think, is that you're studying economics at the moment. How are you finding that? Yeah, at the moment it's pretty good. Um, with it being online, obviously. It's a little bit different to what I'm used to, but I guess that's the same for everybody. But at the moment I love it. Really love it. And so good so far. Yeah, I'm glad to hear you're enjoying it. I just wanted to, um, I just kind of wanted to ask what what your view is from an economics perspective on immigration. I don't know if you've if you've learned anything about it in particular, but you know you can always uh, speculate. What do you think the ethic, the uh, economic implications of immigration might be? Um, I think from economic perspective, I think the biggest, I think one of the biggest things is um, resources. Obviously, there are some countries who are pretty blessed with resources and some who are not as think, blessed. So in that sense, I think it depends on what country you're going to. I think that matters a lot in terms of whether immigration is beneficial or not. And another thing as well is jobs. I'm, whenever, I hear, whenever I hear like immigration, there's always the joke, about like, oh, I'm stealing my jobs or doing this or doing that. But like the truth has it that um, a lot of the time immigrants like immigrants do provide a quite a few like well like well well skilled jobs. Like um there are quite a few like doctors and dentists who are immigrants and like as I was saying, we need those people. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean uh <laughs> you're I think you're right to talk about the uh, sort of oh, come over here, steal our jobs kind of kind of people because unfortunately you do still hear that and it's just it's just ridiculous um i mean yeah okay there's there's a certain amount of truth to it um i suppose like you say there are a huge amount of skilled immigrants that will come to uh, to countries like the uk or the us for instance specifically like you mentioned doctors and dentists who can get paid vast amounts under the us health system whereas a lot of the time where they're from they'd be working in, in poorer conditions with hospitals that aren't as well equipped as they could be um, and getting paid minimal. So from their point of view, of course, it's the, you know, the rational economic choice to move to somewhere where you get paid more for working conditions. Um, but of course, there's also a huge number of people that we need to talk about that are um, 
filling sort of lower paying jobs you know often there's a there's a bit of a stereotype of uh cleaners in the u.s particularly being of hispanic origin or uh latinx origin i think i'm supposed to say now um and you know in the uk people always talk about people being uh eastern european immigrants doing all these hard-working jobs but at the end of the day the people who who emigrate from their country do so because they want to find a better life and that involves working hard so for the vast you know for the vast majority of immigrants these people are incredibly hard working so of course they're going to take jobs from the the lowest paid people in society who, who are just sort of coasting along and not and not working very hard um my question i guess to sort of tie it into the philosophy of things how do you think the sort of economic benefits should be weighted on a moral playing field you know if something is economically beneficial to a country or economically detrimental to a country how powerful of an argument really is that in terms of the the morality of allowing immigrants um i was just thinking back to when you said that there are a lot of people who come from like other countries to do like these really well jobs um i was thinking about how maybe again from another moral point of view maybe that's not necessarily the best thing they could do obviously from an economic perspective it makes sense however in doing that it's possible that like they are like leaving people in their country behind which is like again it's not great for them in that not great for them in the like original country in that sense because they're losing out on like, very skilled professionals and I think that right. um, it's possible. Sorry, go on. I was just going to say that's definitely, you know, of course, that's an argument that, that can be made that um, that these people ultimately are sort of leaving their country behind. It's the uh, it's the the phenomenon of brain drain that you hear uh, sort of thrown about the term. It's basically where, you know, all of these intelligent people who can get paid more elsewhere are going to go elsewhere because they can get paid more. It's It's from their point of view, the rational thing to do, but it's, hugely detrimental to the country that they leave just circling back around to the moral perspective should should these people be making a different choice based on the morality of the situation should they be choosing to support their their countrymen mm. <laughs> okay that's the one that is that's one that's very difficult to answer to be honest um what's your intuition on it i think my intuition is that there's a balance to be honest i think that again on both sides you have the argument that oh yeah these people are going or these people are leaving the country but again you have um the you know remittances right where people will send back like a proportionate amount of salary to their family which will help them in the long run so i think you have arguments to be made to say both yes and no um yeah i was going to say that in my head i think my initial answer to that question is no i think there's not an obligation for them to stay or it's okay for, it's it is okay for them to go that's like what i was going to say i think that again there are strong arguments made for both sides i think that in my head intuitively that's the first thing i went for no, that seems to make sense yeah i think i think like you say the remittances plays a big part in that argument although the country may be losing out on a doctor the family that they leave behind there are gaining, you know, a, a decent amount of money that they can use to improve their living standards just as a family. And of course that contributes on a, on a wider level to the economy as a whole. 
um, just to sort of circle back round, you know, how much is money worth on a moral standpoint? If a country can save a million, a billion by excluding immigrants from their country, or if they could save the equal amounts by letting immigrants in, how much of a, of a role do you think those should play in the decision making? Um, I think that it shouldn't be like a primary factor in whether or not to allow immigrants into a country. I think that it certainly plays a role because, again, that country standpoint on like whether they should let immigrants in or not is like how much what what would it mean for the country? What would it mean for the country? And again, from an economic standpoint, from an economic standpoint, if like letting immigrants in would make them better off or worse off that would definitely influence their decision i don't think we can outright say that they wouldn't care about and their like economic well-being after that that's what i say i say that it plays a role but i wouldn't say that it is the like i wouldn't say that it becomes like the deciding factor as to whether or not to let immigrants into a country or not yeah i think in 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 this day and age um politicians especially are under huge amounts of pressure from from many, many sides of the the, uh, the world and of the political spectrum and the s- other factors, you know, people have huge varying, hugely varying views on uh, on politics, on the economy and on social issues like immigration. Um, and it feels like politicians often are being sort of torn in two trying to, trying to find the right decision. Um, I think you're right in saying that it, it's, it's, it's definitely a blend. People uh, people in power make decisions based on not just the the economic factors. It is undeniably a large part of their job and of what they do. Do you think in our day and age, governments are giving enough consideration to the moral factors at play, especially with regards to immigration? Are people, are, are, are leaders actually thinking about the moral worth of lives in terms of immigration? I think right now, I think you see it to some extent, but not definitely not in enough countries. I think um, Canada and New Zealand are two pretty good examples of this, actually. Um, I remember there was one, I remember, I don't know how long ago it was, I feel like it was pretty recent, but um, there was one point, Justin Trudeau, who is president of Canada, prime minister of Canada, sorry. But I think um, he made a statement, literally just to say, oh, yeah, Canada does welcome like any immigrants. And New Zealand, I'm pretty sure that they've like had a similar standpoint on that, like in recent years. But then you get to countries like America, where like I'm pretty sure that you've heard also the ICE or ICE, ICE, whatever you want to call it, and um, how they like managed to separate hundreds of children from their families. And yeah, so I think it just shows you this like there's a pretty stark difference, even in these like pretty well-developed countries. There's a pretty stark difference as to how they treat immigrants. And I think that that tells you a lot about who's paying attention to these moral factors and who's not paying attention to them. Yeah, definitely. Like you say, um, it, it's clear who who cares. Um, it's just, I think it is kind of almost ridiculous that people have been allowed to literally lock children in cages I, I really thought the world had moved past that, but humanity astounds me. Um, I think just to come back to the example of, of New Zealand, I think the standard of living there is on the whole pretty comparable to 
the standard of living in Australia, but both of them follow very, very different models of immigration from what I'm aware. I'm, I'm not entirely familiar with the, the New Zealand model, but from what you said, they seem to be fairly um, liberal with it. In, I know in Australia, they have a points-based uh, immigration system where immigrants need to apply to be allowed to, to enter the country. Uh, and they're allowed to do so based on a number of factors ranging from their uh, education level to their uh, you know, credit score and things like this, that their criminal record, things that di dictate almost um, in a numerical value how good of a citizen, in quote marks, they will be. Do you think this is an okay way to be to be measuring people? Do you think we should be doing this? Or, or what are your views on that kind of system? I wouldn't say so. I would I would not say that's okay at all. Again, going back to like the beginning of this podcast, I think that one of the central ideas that I believe we both agreed on upon was that um, immigrants move to these better lives. I think the the whole thing about judging someone based on their credit score or their like current like or their current situation isn't really fair in determining whether or not this person deserves to get to come into a country. If the whole point of them is to seek a better life, then like, why would you judge them on how their life's been so far? I mean. Yeah, yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. It seems almost biased to, you know, say, oh, you're not, you're not an Australian citizen. You don't me measure up to being an Australian citizen. Of course they don't. They're not from Australia. They're from some, some place they want to leave in favor of Australia. So yeah, I think that argument that argument makes a lot of sense. Just to um, put forward the other side of it, I think a lot of people um, are sort of in fear of people coming into a country um, and contributing nothing to said country and, you know, uh, leeching off welfare and various other uh, state provisions that may, um, that may sort of uh, benefit citizens that need it. Um, you know, it, it happens in the UK. There's a huge amount of benefit fraud every year. I'm not quite sure about the statistics about how many of those are, are immigrants, but I, I doubt it's as many as some people would make out. What do you think about that argument that, you know, you need to be contributing in order to take from the system? I think it's an interesting argument, to be honest. Um, I, think, I think we'd have to talk more about this and like, reach a conclusion on it. I'd say that... Um, it's obvious the thing, but um, if you're coming into a country, I think that you have to be prepared. You have to be like prepared to like, contribute to society. Like, no matter what situation you come from, I think that is almost like a given. I think for, I think it's just a thing of respect, really. I think for allowing for this country to allow you to come in and say, okay, you can come and make a better life for yourself here, and to not not even attempt to do anything with it. I think that seems a bit disrespectful if I can use our words doesn't this is disrespectful you're going to come into a country to do like to purposely do nothing at all and that is a bit disrespectful I think that whether or I think letting them in on that basis is I think just as bad I think that obviously people deserve the chances but I think it's up to the individual as to what they do with it but they they should really really be trying to do like something productive with opportunities they've been given because it's a pretty big opportunity. 
yeah yeah it's, it's a massive opportunity to be allowed to to live somewhere else and have a, a you know a shot at, a shot at a better life uh, like you say it, it's it's so hard with this kind of thing because how do you how do you regulate that do you have to use almost an australian point system where you um just see how much people can contribute based on their education their credit score etc and just turn people away if you don't think they're good enough i mean both of our i think both of our instinct is to say no because really people deserve a chance um but then if you give people that chance and they squander it and don't don't work hard which i think is you know in reality a minority case but if they don't do such a thing you know what do you do then do you punish these people or do you just sort of tut tut them and say oh you're making the bad moral choice i think it's a it's a huge um a huge problem really that you know like you say would have to be spoken on for hours to reach a real sort of conclusion my question now kind of is on the whole immigration do you think it's good for a society or not i think it is good for a society um i think First of all, it is the like blend. I think first of all, it's a blend of like culture and appreciation. I think that um, I wouldn't say it's a massive point, but I think that being able to like appreciate other, being able to like take people in and appreciate their culture, I think that makes the society as a whole a lot like a lot better on the issues. It allows them to adopt a more like global mindset in that sense, and I say that. As well as that, we have professionals who are coming in who are contributing to our health systems and other things like that, and they're doing well there. And I think that, so we have those two things. And I think that as well as that, I think we've established that not not many of them would take the opportunity for granted. I think there are, I think we can both agree that there are a very small number of people, like tiny, tiny number of people who would go through the effort of moving to a whole another country just to do nothing just to like do nothing yeah yeah like you say i think i think the cultural argument is a hugely important and, and also in a certain light hugely polarizing one because you know people value their their own culture uh, I, I know you value your culture i value my culture everyone really values their own their own culture but equally, I think, like you say, there's a huge amount to be gained from appreciating other cultures and learning about other cultures and, you know, and blending cultures into new, um, unique versions of each other. And that is a, a, an amazing thing about human society is that that's possible. Some people, I think, argue that cultural uh, sort of homogeneity is is a better thing. People might say that, you know, oh, we want to keep our culture as it is. We want to keep it pure, which, you know, is is borderline sounding like a very dangerous far-right kind of idea if you phrase it in the wrong way. Um, but, I mean, what do you think about that? When, when people immigrate, not only um, is their culture going to, you know, spread and disseminate and then kind of, you know, mix with the local culture and change the local culture, but also that culture that they've brought over is as a result of that, you know, losing some part of itself in order to change and shift and blend with the local culture. Is that okay for these things to sort of lose identity in order to sort of become something new? Um, I think it's okay. 
And uh, maybe there does come slight problem where it gets like lost to like a substantial amount. So obviously, then you start losing, like you start like to lose some of your bullshits, like try and fit in. That's a bit difficult. And um, I was gonna say on that point actually. I'm going to say that maybe it's the best situations where um, you have, like, groups of people you can relate to, but at the same time, you have, like, groups of people who are of different cultures. Like, I found that for myself, actually. I found that, like, with, like, all my mum's, like, Sierra Leonean family friends, I think that I've been able to keep in touch with the culture really well from them. But again, from my non-Sierra Leone friends, I've been able to like learn a lot about like, culture from the world. And I feel like that makes me feel both like both at home while simultaneously being able to like learn about other people, which I think has been very good for me. I agree. I agree. I think it's a, it's a hugely beneficial thing for an individual to, you know, learn about other cultures and reach out and and grow in education with those other cultures. But equally you're right. It's, it's good to hold on to your roots, as people say. Um, I think, you know, ultimately, it's a decision that every person has to make for themselves. Um, but I think it's a, it's a really interesting, interesting debate. And, you know, we've raised a huge number of questions so far already that the answers to which are still pretty, pretty up in the air. Just to sort of round things off before we end, I, I want to um, circle back around to a question that I always ask besides the first question, the first episode of this series where I forgot, but um, what is philosophy to you, Muzi? Philosophy? Um, that's interesting. To be honest, I've never actually studied philosophy before, but if I had to take like a broad outsider's look at it, outsider's look at it, I'd say that philosophy is, I think, thinking about the world in a moral sense to see not to not see what's right and what's wrong but i think to help you form your own opinions on what's right and what's wrong yeah i think honestly i think i think in spite of never studying philosophy formally i think you're a philosopher anyway really i think what we've been doing for the past hour is is philosophy really it's just thinking critically uh, about various topics and i think you're entirely right that there's a huge moral part of it and it's it is ultimately, I think, about making your own your own decision. Yeah. Um, I want to thank you for making the decision to join me on the podcast tonight. It's been a real a real uh, fun one. Um, yeah, I just want to say a huge thanks for. for I know. Thank you very much for having me. This has been very good for me. Honestly, I will be I will be listening to drinks and things in the future for certain. I'm glad you enjoyed it. I uh, obviously want to say thank you to. All of you listeners out there who have stuck with us thus far, uh, there'll be plenty more episodes to come soon. Um, thank you for tuning in to this episode of Drinks and Thinks. Stay drinking, stay thinking, stay forming your own views on immigration and morality, and I'll see you next time. Goodbye. It's nice to meet you, bro. Yeah, you too. It's been really good. Anyway, take care. I'll see you around. Bye.